Most of us have a nighttime routine. Here's mine. When I'm ready to go to bed, I go upstairs, I go to the bathroom, I take out my phone, and I put on a YouTube video. Usually, it's a video about chess. There's a guy with a wonderfully soothing voice, and he's making commentary about famous chess games. And yes, if you have any lingering doubts of whether I'm a geek or not, <laughs> that should settle it once and for all. <laughs> so, uh, you know, as the guy is talking about, you know, the advantages and disadvantages of the Sicilian defense, I, um, I take my algae pills, I do nasal spray, and then I floss my teeth and I brush my, floss my, and I brush them. Uh, just a quick survey here, right? Just hands up if you floss every day. Oh, wow. Wait, like, less than half? Okay, all right, I, I'm doing this because we did the same thing with the teaching team, it was around, around half, and I'm like, this can't be right. Okay, so obviously the American Dental Association has a lot of work to do, okay. <laughs> but after I brush my teeth, I bring my phone with the video still playing, I bring it to bed, because a guy with a soothing voice talking about chess moves can be wonderfully, wonderfully effective at making me very, very sleepy. So I'm getting very sleepy, I turn off the phone, I give Serena a kiss, I turn around and I go to bed. That's my evening routine. You notice something? No prayer. I don't pray at night. And I want you to know that. I want you to know that right at the very beginning of this talk, because today we're looking at a passage in the Bible, Psalm 4, which is an evening prayer. It is designed and written to be prayed right before you go to bed. So, before I get going, let me introduce myself. My name is Charles. I'm one of the pastors on the teaching team. I'm going to greet those of you who are here and those of you joining us on video uh, via tradition, uh, tradition, Gospel Fusion, downtown Fitchburg. Uh, big shout out to those of you who are streaming on online and those of you listening to our podcast. Now, we are in a sermon series called Psalms for the Summer. And, and a few weeks back, uh, we talked about how the book of Psalms is a, is a prayer book. A prayer book for the people of God. It's designed to teach us how to pray. And, um, and today we're going to look at Psalm 4 as an evening prayer. Now let me just say this right up front. Um, people have taken a, a variety of different approaches to the psalm. And you will find those approaches in various commentaries, various devotionals, going all the way back to the, the first centuries of the church. I think the best approach to Psalm 4 is to read it as an evening psalm because of its content and because of its location in the book of Psalm. So we're going to talk about its location in the book of Psalm in just a bit. Okay? But today we're going to read Psalm 4 as an evening psalm. Uh, so what is an evening psalm? What is an evening prayer? Now I'm guessing our evenings all look different, but there are some similarities. right? We, most of us, we've been up all day. We've been active. We've been sleeping, or not sleeping, no. We've been going to school, we've been working, we've been playing, we've been interacting with people, we've been behind a computer, we've been creating, we've been doing stuff, right? And, and, and so as we move toward the evening, we bring all of the stuff that happened with us to the evening. And, and some of the stuff that happened to us during the day, well, they're really good, they're really encouraging. But some of the stuff that happened, because we're living in a broken world, we've had things that happen to us that, that are stressful, that, that, are, that are hurtful, that causes all kinds of dilemma. And as we get to bed, our minds are swirling, 
right? Our thoughts, our emotions, they're going up and down. And what we really need is a time, a space to go, okay, what happened today? A time to meditate, a time to process, a time to submit what happened before God to hear his voice and his perspective so that we align our perspective with God's and so that we can calm down and then go to sleep. That is a evening prayer. And that is Psalm 4. I'm going to read it for us. For the director of music with stringed instruments, a Psalm of David. Answer me when I call to you, my righteous God. Give me relief from my distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. How long will you people turn my glory into shame? How long will you love delusions and seek false gods? Know that Yahweh, when you see the word Lord in all caps, that marks God's personal name, Yahweh. Know that Yahweh has set apart his faithful servant for himself. Yahweh hears when I call to him. Tremble and do not sin. When you are on your bed, search your hearts and be silent. Offer the sacrifices of the righteous and trust in Yahweh. Many, Yahweh, are asking, who will bring us prosperity? Let the light of your face shine on us. Fill my heart with joy when their grain and new wine abound. In peace, I will lie down and sleep. For you alone, Yahweh, make me dwell in safety. Now, this is a psalm of David. Um, so, David is a famous king for ancient Israel. He wrote, like, close to half of the prayers in the book of Psalm. Um, he, he's, he has an, kind of a rich and dynamic relationship with God. And so, and so his, it really shows up in his prayers. So, we're going to walk through this prayer. Um, David begins this prayer by calling out to God. Right? Answer me when I call to you. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. And this idea that God answers when we call, it's just huge in the book of Psalms. It's huge because it really is kind of basic to a relationship, right? You know, I wave hi to you, you wave hi back. I say, hey, how's it going? You know, oh, I'm pretty good, right? The ability to elicit a response is kind of a bare minimum to a relationship, right? If I say hi and you just ignore me, we don't have much of a relationship. So David says, answer me when I call to you. Still, though, this feels a little off, right? right? It feels kind of impertinent. Like, like, hey, David says, answer me when I call to you. And we're like, David, who do you think you're talking to? I mean, you're talking to the creator God of the universe. Maybe he's kind of busy. He's kind of busy running the world. So maybe you should like schedule an, a calendar, schedule a time before you talk to him. Maybe that's the case, right? So answer me when I call to you. It just feels like, wow, David, who do you think you are? And so this kind of feeling, this kind of feeling of inappropriateness, it's really addressed down here. Where David says, have mercy on me and hear my prayer. Now, when we think mercy, we tend to think about God not punishing us for our sins. That's not what David's talking about here. The Hebrew word here for, for mercy is chanan, and in this context, it means to give undeserved attention. Right? To give undeserved attention. So David says, Answer me when I call to you. Give me undeserved attention and hear my prayer. Notice what David's doing. He's not saying, oh, hey, I'm the king, so I get to demand God's time whenever I want to. He's not saying that at all. He says, I know I don't deserve God's time. I know I cannot demand God's time, but I'm going to ask for it anyway. Because I know God, 
I know his character, and I know our relationship. So God, answer me when I call to you. Give me attention that I don't deserve, and answer my prayer. <laughs> I love that. Are you catching on to the vibe of David's relationship with God? It's so rich. It's so alive. Right? Now, David doesn't just call out to God in this verse. He also tells us why he's calling out to God. So he first thing he calls God, my righteous God, the Hebrew word there is tzedek. And here, tzedek is talking about making things right. Um, so I think you all know that I'm not the most neat person in the world, um, at least compared to Serena. Uh, in our 29 years of marriage, Serena consistently marvels at my su supernatural ability to not see the mess that I make everywhere. Um, <laughs> Now, I want to be upfront about this. I do see the mess. It just doesn't register in my consciousness as mess. Okay? As, a result, as a result, there is a disconnect. I see it, but it doesn't translate into the thought of, oh, I should do something about that. <laughs> Serena is different. Serena is just wired differently because she's attuned to her physical surrounding. So when something's out of order, when something is in the wrong place, she feels it, she senses it, she knows it, and she gets uncomfortable. And so she is driven, she has this need to fix her physical surrounding and put it into order. And in that sense, she is righteous. She has the character that is driven to put to right the physical spaces around her. When David says, my righteous God, he's not talking about God's moral uprightness. Now, God is moral and he is upright. But that's not what David is talking about right here. Right here, Tzedek is talking about God making things right. You see, God has a thing about fixing things. He can't help himself. He is driven to take what's wrong and disordered and put them into order. And David knows that. So he says, my God who loves to fix things, answer me, my God who, who, who can put to right what's wrong with my life, answer my prayer. Now, what exactly is wrong with David's life? Well, he says to God, give me relief from my distress. Now, this is just a really hard verse to translate because there's a Hebrew wordplay going on. That's really, you can't capture in English. Um, the word distress in, in Hebrew is tsar, and it means distress, anxiety, but it can really also mean narrow or cramped. Now, here it clearly is meaning distress, but David's a poet, okay? So he's gonna pick a verb, rachav, and rachav does not mean give relief, not at all. It's a very particular word. It means to make room. It means to widen. It means to extend space outward. It means to create space. So what David says is, in my distress, in my anxiety, in my crampedness, in my narrowness, God, give me space. We have that idea in English, right? I mean, you know, we say things like, it feels like the walls are closing in on us, right? We say things like that, right? The, 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 when we are in trouble, when things are going wrong in our lives, we feel it physically. We feel trapped, we feel smothered, we feel like we can't breathe. As we go through our days, unexpected failures come up. 
miscommunication, tension, broken relationship with people, and we feel all that, and it weighs in on us, and the stress of the day and anxiety piles up on us, and we feel like we can't breathe. We feel smothered. We are closed in. We are cramped. And what we need is space. And so David begins by praying for space. And that's exactly what we should do as well. We need mental space, we need emotional space. Calling out to God, God who loves to fix things, God who can fix what's wrong with my life, I need space. I need space to process what's going on in my life, to be able to meditate on it, and have you speak into it. That's how this prayer begins. That's verse one. All right, verse two. How long will you people turn my glory into shame? How long will you love delusions and seek false gods? Know that Yahweh has set apart his faithful servant of himself. Yahweh hears when I call to him. So in verse 2, David starts talking to you people who are damaging his reputation in some way because they love delusions and seek false gods. That's all we know. We don't know who these people are, and uh, we don't know what's going on. Okay? But did you notice something weird? Right? Let me ask you this. What is verse 2 doing here? I mean, didn't we just end verse 1 with, have mercy on me and hear my prayer? Right? What do you expect after that? You expect the prayer. Right? Instead, we have verse 2, where David starts talking to some people that he's not happy with. What's going on? Shouldn't this be prayer? The answer? Yes, it is. This is the key for interpreting Psalm 4. This is prayer. You see what David's doing? David's having conversations with people he's not happy with in his head, and he's offering that up to God as prayer. He is offering conversations in his mind to God as prayer. Now, let me ask you this. How many people talk to, how many of you talk to people in your head? Let me say it right. Let me say it right. Okay, let me say it right. Real people, imaginary conversation. (laughs) Okay? How many of you have those in your head? Especially if you're angry with people. Yeah, okay. Almost everybody, right? Right. I I, I do this all day long. I'm, I'm having arguments with people all day long. Okay, just having these conversations in my head. Happens all the time. Okay. So, have you ever thought of submitting that, elevating that conversation to God? Have you ever thought of inviting God to speak into it? You see, when we are having difficulty in communication, difficult disagreements and conflict, and we have these conversations swirling around our head, we're like, we need, it feels cramped. Right? We need space. We need space to push out. We need God to jump in. And you notice what happens. Notice, notice verse 3. How, these, how does this conversation end? Very interesting. It ends with David remem- remembering, he's talking to himself, remembering that he is God's faithful servant and that Yahweh hears when I call to him. See that? He's having these conversations, he's having these arguments, and he moves toward, wait a minute, I know God. <laughs> How does the conversation end? I know God. How, how, how do your conversations in your mind, how do they go? 
Mine go in circle. They just keep going. They, they, they go in loop, right? I'm, I'm refining my arguments constantly. Why? Because I'm trying to say, I'm right, you're wrong. That's what I'm trying to do in those conversations. I'm right, you're wrong. And when God speaks into the situation, what happens? It's not about me being right. That's not what happens. It's about my relationship with God. I'm his servant. I'm right with God. Now, these relationships are still broken, absolutely. Okay? But we put them in context of this relationship. Okay? That's what this is about. So, submit your mental conversations to God. That's going to feel weird for a while. It's going to feel weird. Ask God to speak into them. To bring to mind, yes, context. Conversations within the context of our relationship with God. That changes things. So you notice, right, Psalm 4 is an evening prayer. Evening prayers are about time to process, time to meditate, time to, to think through our day, and that letting God jump in so that our conversations don't end up in a loop, get mired and get stuck. It changes, it goes in a different direction. And so here, David pauses to give some advice to himself and to other people who are in the same boat. Tremble and do not sin, he says, when you are on your bed. Search your hearts and be silent. Offer the sacrifices of the righteous and trust in Yahweh. Just a quick note. You will find some scholars who think that verses 4 and 5 are, is the continuation of the conversation that he's having with people he's not happy with. I'm going with the scholars who don't think that. I'm going with scholars who think that David now is talking to himself and to others who are in conflict with others. And they're having a hard time getting out of these conversations. And he says, tremble. The key word here is ragaz. Ragaz means to tremble. It means to shake as a result of strong, powerful emotions. You know, like anger, fear, excitement, joy, sadness. They're, they're, these are so powerful, you feel it in your body. You're like, whoa. Right? Now, and now, in this context, David is most likely talking about negative emotions. Anger. Rage, the feeling of being wrong, the, the desire for things made right, desire for justice. We feel that. And David says, go ahead and feel it. Go ahead and feel it in your bones. Feel it in your body. Experience them fully. But do not sin. Do not act on them. Instead, talk it out. Um, the word for search here in Hebrew, amar, it's your typical Hebrew word for talk. It means to speak. It's basically talk in your hearts. Talk in your hearts before God, before God as part of this prayer while you're on your bed. Before you go to bed, talk. Experience your powerful emotions. Bring them before God. Bring your rage, bring your anger, bring your wrath, bring the, your, the pain of being wronged. Bring them all before God. Throw it in front of God and let God deal with it. And something amazing happens when you do that. The word damam can mean to be silent. can also mean to grow quiet. There's a quieting down. Have you ever tried to pray while you're angry? Okay, something weird about anger. 
I like to hang on to it. You're, when you're angry, there's part that you're, you don't like, there's part that you kind of like of being angry, right? Especially like, I have a, I have a right to be angry. I, oh, yeah, I feel good. So, so I, I, sometimes I have to pray, right? I don't know, a situation comes up. So I will try to throw a perfunctory prayer, get it over with, and I can go back to being angry, but God won't let me do that. When you start praying, what happens is God's like, no, 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 no. Tell me about that anger. Talk that out. So as I'm talking out, I find myself losing my, my, my feeling of being right. And I find myself losing my anger. The anger diminishes. It calms down. That's what David is talking about here. When you bring all that powerful emotions before God, God has a way of calming things down. Things are not fixed. Like I said before, things are not fixed. Things are still wrong. Injustice is still happening. But there are places within the context of this larger relationship between me and God. I have God. I'm right with God. And that's what matters. And at that moment, we can make the turn. Verse 5, offer the sacrifices of the righteous. Okay, scholars don't know what that means. They have all kinds of suggestions. One of the biggest problems you have is, if you read four, verses 4 and 5 together, how do you offer sacrifice while you're on your bed? Right? Burn something? Burn an animal? I mean, it just doesn't really work. It's really hard. Okay. So when people are disagreeing with each other, my tendency is to go with what's in the text. What's in the text? Offer the sacrifices of the righteous and trust in Yahweh. What does God want from his people? Our trust. He wants to trust him. He wants faith. He wants us to trust him. And so when, you're, when you have given God your anger and your powerful emotions and the sense of being wrong, you go, hey, I'm now going to offer trust as a sacrifice to God that is pleasing to him. I'm going to trust God. I'm going to make that turn. So, pray your feelings don't stop there. Make the decision to trust God. All right. Verse 6. Many, Yahweh, are asking, who will bring us prosperity? Let the light of your face shine on us. Fill my heart with joy when their grain and new wine abound. We're feeling cramped, right? We invite God into these conversations we're having in our heads. We, we give him our powerful emotions. We, we're calmed down. Now we, we offer our trust to him. And what happens then is there's a realignment. We gain an alignment with God's perspective. And that's what these two verses are about. David says, David says, hey, what do people want? They want prosperity. And David says, here's what I want. I want the light of your face. I want the intimacy the connection with you more than material well-being. Verse 7 is doing the same thing. Um, there's something weird here in Hebrew. It, the Hebrew can actually be translated as fill my heart with joy more than when their grain and new wine abound. You will find actually quite a few English translations making that move. I think that's the right move. What David says is, look, I want the joy that we have, and it's going to be greater than the joy they get when they have lots of stuff. Perspective. When we're aligned with God, we regain perspective. Because living our day, man, 
We are, we are at work, we're at school, we're hanging out with people, and we are just inundated, inundated with the messages of this culture, of what this culture thinks is valuable, what this culture thinks you must have, right? And, and, and so when you come home, it's like, whoa, what's happening? Because it's messing with our minds, messing with our values. And what we need to do is be able to go, wait a minute, what is the culture telling me today? And how do I push back and say, no, that's not me? Build that into your evening prayer. David goes ahead and says, what, is this, what do people want around him? In his time, in his time, what they want, what do they want? They want prosperity. They want grain and new wine. They want stuff. Because having stuff makes them feel good, makes them feel joyful, gives them status, gives them comfort, gives them security. And David says, that's not what I want. I want the joy of a relationship with you. That's the right place for me to be. What does our culture say? about the things we should have. What should we want? I think, still stuff. <laughs> but I think there's more. I mean, I mean, these days, I mean, so many of us are on social media. We live our life in front of others and we see other people and there's just this pressure of comparison, right? We're always pressured to live our best life. We want to get the approval of others. That's what the culture says we should have. Or for others, it's, it's success in education or work, right? It's getting that degree or getting that promotion. Even in retirement, right? There's a thing about retirement, retiring in style. And David says, no, 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 no. At the end of the day, we're being conformed into the culture around us unless we stop and identify. Identify the ways in which the culture is pressuring you to conform. Name it. Figure out what's happening during your day, what you're feeling, what you're being pushed into, and pray for God's perspective. Finally, in peace I will lie down and sleep, for you alone, Yahweh, make me dwell in safety. The Hebrew word there is shalom, and clearly it does not mean absence of conflict because nothing got changed, right? You're lying in bed, you're just talking to God. Nothing's changed in terms of the situation you're in but something has changed in terms of your relationship with God. The shalom there is not talking about the absence of conflict. It's talking about wholeness. David is now whole in his relationship with God. He comes in in a narrow space, in distress, since the walls are closing in and God has created space. He comes in arguing with people in his mind and God has spoken and says, no, 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 my relationship with you is what matters, right? And he, and he says, okay, I can trust you. Oh, no, oh, right, the world is imprinting itself on me. I need to resist that. And now I'm aligned with you. There is wholeness. I am right with God. And David says, now it's time to go to bed. I can sleep now. That's Psalm 4 as an evening prayer. I want to say one more thing about, about this psalm. Um, I want to talk about its location in the book of Psalms. Um, a few weeks ago, we talked about the structure of the entire book of Psalms, right? It's, it has five books in it, so books one through five. And then there, is a, there are five psalms at the end. There, there's a conclusion. They're called the Hallelujah Psalms. And then there are, there are the introduction, two psalms, Psalms one and two. And um, if we dive into this introduction, Psalm one, Psalms one and two tell us who this book of Psalm is written to, right? So... Psalm 1, blessed is the person who delights in Yahweh's teaching. Okay, great, that person is blessed. Okay, what is Yahweh teaching? Psalm 2, Yahweh's teaching is about the triumph of the Messiah 
or Christ over a world that is in rebellion against him. The world is at war, and blessed are the people who delight in the triumph of the Messiah. That's the intro to the book of Psalm. And so Psalm 3 comes up from, from last time. That's the very first Psalm, very first prayer in the book of Psalms. And it says that if you pray it often enough, pray Psalm 3 often enough, it reminds you that we are Christ followers. We're Messiah followers. We've taken side in this war, which means we have enemies. And to survive, we need to base our identity, our honor, our status on God. That's Psalm 3. How does that happen? How do we become people who base our identity, our honor, our, our status on God? Well, according to the book of Psalms, it is to build prayer into the rhythm of our lives. Very next Psalm, Psalm 4, that's an evening prayer. What about Psalm 5? Check out Psalm 5, verse 3. In the morning, Yahweh, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you and wait expectantly. When do you pray Psalm 5? Very good. <laughs> Very good. Psalm 5 is a morning prayer. So if we look at the structure of a book of Psalms, right, right, we have Psalm, Psalm, the introduction, and then Psalm 3, and then evening prayer, morning prayer. Right at the beginning, written into the structure of the book of Psalms, the editors of the book of Psalms is trying to teach us the importance of building prayer into the rhythm of our lives. Evening, morning, evening prayer, morning prayer, evening prayer, morning prayer. You want to deepen your relationship with God? Evening prayer, morning prayer. You want to base your identity and status and honor on Christ and Christ alone? Evening prayer, morning prayer. You want to see the world through God's eyes and God's lens? Evening prayer, morning prayer. Okay. Let's build prayer into the fabric of our day. Let prayer be the rhythm, the beating heartbeat of our day. That's how life transformation happens. Life transformation happens when we intentionally restructure our lives and put prayer the heart of it. Now, as I'm talking about praying every day, some of you are having a reaction. Some of you come out of religious communities where praying every day is a religious obligation. And if you don't do it, then man, you messed up. And you are feeling a lot of guilt. And when you do succeed, well, hey, I'm doing pretty well. That's a badge of honor. I can tell people about it. Hey, I'm on a 30-day prayer streak, right? Which unlocks all kinds of special prayer powers. <laughs> kidding. Totally kidding. Okay. So, so let, me, let me clarify. Let me clarify the, the, the point of prayer, okay? So first, let's begin with grace. The moment you decide to put your trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, at that very moment, you are joined with Jesus. You become one with him, which means you are loved and you are forgiven, Nothing you do subsequent to that can change any of that. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more. There's nothing you can do to make God love you less. God will not love you more if you pray every day. And God will not love you less if you don't. So why pray? When I get done with my day, and Serena's get done with her day, we, we spend time, this is every day, how was your day? Without breaking confidentiality, because we both work in places where things are confidential, 
we kind of talk about our day. This happened, this happened, this is a meeting, oh, this interesting happened. We just do that with each other. And we do that every day. Why do we do that every day? Because our relationship is important to us. Our relationship is important to us, and this is how we deepen our relationship, by talking to each other about what's going on in our lives. Imagine if I taught, only talked to Serena once a week or once a month, that would be really hard on our relationship. Talk to God. It's good for your relationship. And not just that. In talking to God regularly, you open up your lives for God to speak into different areas and God can speak into. Prayer lies at the foundation of transformation. It's how transformation happens. When you pray every day, you're saying to God, yes, I want to know you, and yes, I want you to transform who I am. So I have a very simple goal for this talk. I want to help you build prayer into your regular routine. So I have some next steps coming up. They're very straightforward. Um, so next step number one, get one of these. Okay, get a handout. If you came in, you got one of these, great. Get, grab one on your way out. También está en español allá. Grab one of these, and if you want a digital copy, do the QR code right now. Go ahead and do it right now. Or if you're listening to, um, to the podcast or you're watching our website, go to our website, and, and you can download this. Get one of these. On one side is Psalm 4 is evening prayer. On the other side is something called a prayer of examine. Both are good. They, they serve the same function. What they're doing is they're giving you a model for prayer at the end of the day. It helps you create space to submit what's happened to God and allow God to speak into the different areas of your life. And that calms us down and gets us ready for sleep. Okay? So grab one of these. Get your hand on one of these. This is the easiest part of the next four steps. Okay. Step two, number two. This is the challenge. Commit to using this handout every day this week. That's today through Saturday. Seven days. That's not seven. Seven days. <laughs> I need to learn how to count. Seven days. 15 minutes a day. That's what I'm asking. Now, obviously, I'm not just asking for it like seven days. Obviously, what I'm hoping is that as you're doing this, you're going to go, wow, this is really great. I really love this. I'm having a great time with God. I'm learning a whole tons of stuff. I would like to keep doing this. And you build it into your day for the long haul. Okay, I would love that. But I'm only asking for seven days. Will you commit to it? Will you commit to it? All right. Seven days. <laughs> seven days. Let's get real. If you don't set time and a place, it won't happen. So if you committed, and I hope most of you have, you need to think right now. When are you going to do that today? Where? What time? Where will you be? What about Monday through Friday as you're working or wherever you're doing that's different schedule from weekend, right? Where will you be? When will this happen? Set a time, set a place. Because without intentionality, these things don't happen. Okay? Are you thinking about that right now? Have you set a time and a place? Now, now I know evening prayer is a, uh, I mean, I know Psalm 4 is an evening prayer, but you don't have to do this at night. Okay, I just want to, I want to give you that permission. Because some of you are night owls, and, and you can just put this on your nightstand, you tape it on your, on your bathroom mirror, it's all good. 
okay? If great, you guys just go for it. For, for people like me, okay, I don't do prayer at night for a reason. Around 9 p.m., I start to lose it. <laughs> I start getting in, in, like, incomprehensible. I mean, I, I become incoherent. I start to sing random songs that pop into my head and drive Serena nuts. So I don't pray at night, okay? I do it some other time. I find another time to do it. But whatever it is, set the time and make it happen. And then step four. Bring your phone out. Okay. Put it on your calendar for this week. Okay. Set a reminder. Creating a habit is difficult. We need all the help we can. Okay. Set an alarm. Do a little special ringtone to remind you, oh yeah, I'm praying at this time. Set your, your appointment with God. Because praying every day it's you saying, yes, God, I want to get to know you more. And yes, I want you to come in and transform my life. This is how life transformation happens. Now, just a quick reminder, don't turn this into an obligation. Don't turn this into law. Don't turn this into guilt. It's about your relationship with God, and it's about your transformation. All right. Let me pray for us. Father, we, we want to know you more. We want to be transformed by the power of your Holy Spirit. And we know that, 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 that the, what your Bible teaches us is that, that the way we partner with you is not through willpower, not through trying to change our lives through gut, but through getting to know you better, through prayer. So Father, Give us the drive, the intentionality to build prayer into our lives. Help us do that. Because we want to know you the way you know us. And we want to love you the way you love us. And want to experience the joy of intimacy with you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.